0: Spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans, for the fans.
1: Nation, welcome in to another edition of and Review. I'm your host, Jerry Abair, along with my partner in crime, Mr. Matt Miguez. Matt, what's going on, man?
0: Good, going good, Jerry. How are you, man?
1: Good, good. Just slowly grinding, uh, hoping that we get a little sense of normalcy tomorrow. Officially, Louisiana goes into phase two of the recovery period through this COVID-19 pandemic. Baby steps, man. Baby steps.
0: Yeah long time coming for sure.
1: There you go and with that we have a special guest in the house a very 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 special guest in the house we've got the man in charge (laughs) University of Louisiana Director of Athletics Dr. Brian Maggard. Dr. Maggard how are you sir?
2: I'm doing great Uh, you know it's a unique time for all of us but uh, I, I really I have nothing to complain about.
1: Very nice very nice well You know, first of all, you know, Matt and I are so excited for you to be on with us today. Thank you so much for taking your time out of your, I'm guessing is a very busy schedule right now. Uh, So many different uh, different moving parts, uh, so many questions to be answered, so many questions that are being asked. Um, So once again, thank you. Uh, First first question, I'll start with uh, Dr. Maggard. How are you doing and, ho- and how is your family doing through this pandemic? And how are things uh, been going in the Maggard household through this uh, rapid change of events that is unfolding?
2: Well, first of all, we're doing fantastic. Appreciate you asking. And, uh, you know, we're healthy. Uh, we're wise to some degree. At least some of my family members are. I'm not so wise anymore, but, you know, we're doing good. Uh, it's been an opportunity for our kids to all at least to kind of eat, revolve through our doors during this time so it's been nice having them home at at different times uh, and seeing them Um, you know our our department is doing a great job of working remotely just like our entire campus has done and so we continue to steer the ship in the right direction and move forward and then obviously you know like everybody you know the last several days have been you know very very uh, unique you know for our country and you know we just continue to Uh, try to communicate, you know, with our student athletes, our staff, um, make sure that everybody knows, you know, we're here for them. And, um, but at the same time, you know, we, we all have our jobs to do uh, as we get prepared for repopulating campus with student athletes. And ultimately, um, you know, until we're told differently, we've got to make sure we plan for a on-time fall sports season.
0: You know, Dr. Maggard, you know, and, a resume like yours having worked in athletics for nearly 30 years, and being such an unprecedented time, how have you been able to adapt to something like this in in terms of
2: athletics? Well, I think the key is is adapt. You know, we we all have to adapt when necessary. Um, You know, nothing is constant. We're learning that day in and day out, right? You guys are probably adapting the way you operate. You know your uh, your business, and um, but I just I applaud our, our staff. You know they've done a fantastic job of uh, continuing to turn challenges into opportunities. Our student athletes, I commend them greatly. They had maybe the best semester academically we've ever had uh, with the, the sudden change going from face to face to remote, and so really you know things are going well in, th- in that regard. And so I'm very proud to to be a part of this organization or university because uh, we have great leadership at the highest level on campus. And that I think that just helps resonate throughout the entire organization.
1: You know, right now, um, with current events happening, you know, news coming out every single day. Uh, we ju- they just released news. Uh, the NBA season will return in late July. I know the NFL is trying to have a, a schedule being started. I know Major League Baseball, they're talking about trying to come up with a date Uh, as well. Um, And then of course, some of the international soccer leagues have actually started competition without fans. Uh, So you're seeing the sports world, you know, many ways trying to either start now or start, you know, taking baby steps to getting a season going. What, against the elephant in the room, let's address the elephant in the room. As of today, uh, as far as college athletics, Obviously the college athletic year from a budgetary standpoint usually starts on July 1st. So that means you're maybe you're actually less than a month away from the 2020, 2021 season. Um, what does it look like for the upcoming athletic year? How are you and your staff preparing for the upcoming athletic year? Are there any changes uh, that you're looking at uh, as far as the upcoming athletic year and what, just, just talk a little bit about the process and how, how you and your staff are preparing for this upcoming year with all of these different circumstances uh, happening at one time.
2: Right. Well, you know, I think we're like every department in, in America right now, and that is, is we, we're, we're tightening the belt, so to speak. We are finalizing our FY21 budget, which does start on July 1. I think we would be irresponsible if we didn't anticipate um, shortfalls in revenue this year compared to past years. Uh, we need to, you know, we're honing in on how we can cut our expenses um, and, and just be as responsible as we can financially. Uh, the cutting the expenses is, is fairly easy in the sense that, you know, we can, we can incorporate a 10% or more budget cut uh, in that regard. The challenge that everybody's facing in the industry is is the uh, assumption of what revenue is going to look like, and we just don't know. You know, if we do have uh, fan capacity limitations, that's going to impact revenue, uh, not just in ticket sales, but in annual giving and concessions and multimedia rights. It's just a very resi- residual effect, you know, that ripples throughout our entire organization. So we're trying to, you know, be good stewards with the information we have. We're trying to, again, make assumptions, build models. Um, but at the end of the day, we know we're going to have to uh, tighten our belts. We're going to have to operate in a more lean fashion um, for this upcoming fiscal year. You know, we may not be able to do all the things that we've done in the past, you know, from a from a glit and glamour standpoint, from a, a, a bells and whistles standpoint. But what we will want to do is make sure we protect the student athlete experience. We want to make sure that we protect the competitiveness of our sports and position our sport programs to continue to pursue championships. That's our, you know, our certainly our goal. And then obviously uh, make sure that we continue to provide solid academic support and healthcare to our student athletes. Uh, and, and the healthcare piece is going to be more important uh, than ever this year. We think.
0: So, Dr. Maggard, you know, players are reporting for voluntary workouts for the sport of football on Monday. You know, with, within the department. You know, kind of of talk about the ways y'all are preparing for student athletes to be on campus and getting ready for the for the upcoming season.
2: Well, we've been working very close uh, with campus leadership in that regard in terms of developing policies and protocols for safety as it relates to uh, COVID-19. We've had uh, a a handful of people within our department uh, who've really been concentrating this on the past several weeks, but two key individuals who stepped up and provided good leadership and guidance for us are uh, Associate AD John Duga and Assistant AD uh, Travis Swallow. Those two individuals have really uh, grabbed the bull by the horn, so to speak, have um, put together an internal committee, work with campus leaders, team physicians, uh, health officials you know, within the community, et cetera, and have developed what we believe is, is gonna be a very strong policy that will help us provide a safe environment. But we also know, you know, we're seeing it today. a lot of student athletes being tested and are testing positive right now. And that's coming out uh, in the media. And uh, I've kind of always said this from the get-go. It's not a matter of if, but when. You know, we absolutely anticipate we'll have student athletes who will test positive or who will show symptoms and, you know, and uh, test positive in that regard. So, you know, we're as prepared for it as we can be. Our campus is absolutely prepared for it as it can be. It has an excellent isolation and quarantine Plan in place for any student uh, who, who may test positive. Uh, our student athletes are no different in that regard. And but but again, as we move forward, really starting on Monday, June 8th, we're going to have a lot of protocols in place that student athletes and staff will have to follow uh, because our goal is to keep everybody uh, safe and healthy for as, for as long as we can.
1: So um, in the past or in the past couple of weeks, there have been newspaper articles, local uh, articles uh, around the area, um, especially with with doing interviews with with you, um, talking about um, cuts. I mean, that's kind of the big talk around college athletics or or budget cuts, whether it's uh, teams or uh, how the university handles it. Um, You've mentioned that there's no plans in cutting sports. Um, we've seen other schools that have had to settle for cutting sports. We've seen other um, schools have to cut coaches' salaries and whatnot. Um, what for you? Um, can can those number one? Can those plans change? And what's your opinion on seeing other schools having to resort to taking those steps in order to save money?
2: Well, I think first of all, you know, we're very fortunate right now, at least as we speak today, that the cutting of sports is not on the table. Um, now, you know, like many programs across the country, we are at the, the NC2A minimum limit, you know, for FBS status at 16 sports. If we were to try to go below that, we'd have to get a waiver from the NC2A. And, and really, the, the justification right now would have to be financial reasons. Um, So we don't have that option on the table for us right now. And I personally don't intend that we will or anticipate that we will. Um, You know, it's it's a situation where those are very tough decisions. And, you know, I'm fortunate right now, although, you know, all of us have tough decisions these days to make. um, That's not one that uh, we as a university or department are facing right now. And my heart goes out to those uh, sport leaders who have to make those decisions. I know my good friend at App State, you know, had to cut four sports. And uh, that's not easy. Quite honestly, it's grueling. And when you have to stand up and, and tell coaches and, and fans and parents and students, you know, that their careers are ending, at least at that institution, from a, uh, an athletic standpoint, that's very hard. So, again, as of now, nor do I really anticipate us uh, putting sports at this time. And uh, like I said, we're going to look at other cost saving measures to uh, try to to come into a FY21 budget that will allow us to um, obviously shore things up, but continue to position our student athletes to be successful in the classroom, in the playing field and and in the community.
0: And you know, Dr. Maggard, The like, like you said, you know, you've had friends that are athletic directors that have had to make that decision to cut. One, one thing that I I'd like to ask you is, you know, you've seen you not only cutting sports, but cutting back on cost and taking action. You know, canceling conference tournaments in the MAC for baseball. Um, you know, just certain situations like that. Any word from the Sun Belt on possible plans to do something similar?
2: Uh, Yes, we have made some adjustments to the um, fall and spring conference schedules uh, as it relates to Sunbelt play. And, you know, we analyzed uh, every sport outside of football very closely. Uh, We took a cost containment approach while at the same time trying to protect, um, you know, programs within our uh, conference that we feel have great opportunities for for, uh, championship opportunities at the national level. And so – we have made some adjustments, uh, and, and they will they will result in savings, you know, for all of us. You know, for example, we're the, the number one thing we tried to accomplish, uh, and you can't do this one hundred percent, but I think we made some good progress. Is we're trying to avoid putting our student athletes on airplanes and having to fly them to locations, but rather uh, finding opportunities for them to play maybe a little bit more regionally and, and bus. And so uh, I would say all in all, you know, we're, it's going to be a, a six figure number. That, that we will realize in savings uh, from a from a, a schedule adjustment standpoint, and so you know that was a good good move in the right direction, and uh, but but you know when you go in to make those decisions, yes, you want to contain costs, but there's always a balance. You know there's an outside force of um, trying to protect uh, NC2A championship opportunities. You know for your sports that, that are very strong in this conference. As well as, you know, you want to always keep in mind the student-athlete experience. And so uh, I think we landed in a really good spot. And, and you'll see some adjustments. I don't think they're going to resonate real high with anybody. But uh, it's nothing going to impact the fan experience. But it will be enough to help us all save some money across the board.
1: So with that, um you 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 just mentioned that App- Appalachian State had, had dropped a few sports. Uh, I believe it was last week. And, of course, I'm sure as an athletic director, one of the toughest parts of the job, especially at a time like this, is having to walk into a coach's office, walking having to walk into a, a team meeting and telling them, hey, by the way, you know, we have to cut your sport. And not only do it one time, but like App State three or four times. Yeah. Um, four times. Wow. Um let me ask for you. Um, you know, I'm sure as, as as an athletic director, you keep in touch with other schools. You, you ba- I'm sure, you bounce ideas off of other schools and vice versa with what they're doing with their athletic budgets and their athletic programs. How has the communication been during this time for you uh, in regards to speaking with other schools in the conference? Like, what are some um, what, what are some of the input that you're getting from Uh, our conference foes and what they're doing as far as their plans for preparing financially as well as this upcoming athletic year?
2: Well, I think no matter, you know, whether you're talking to a Power 5 AD or a Group of 5 AD or a FCS athletics director, uh, we're all really doing the same things, right? You know, it's probably just a difference of a couple of zeros, you know, at the end of the budget numbers that we're all dealing with. But you know, uh, a good friend of mine from the University of Missouri, he's a CFO, and and he was telling me you know all the the steps that they're taking, you know whether it's um, freezing positions, uh, whether it is cutting travel uh, costs, you know things of that nature. So I don't think we're any of us are really doing anything too differently. And then then obviously there's that that, that smaller group um, of athletic programs who have had to make decisions to cut sports. But for the most part, I think we're trying to focus you know on the uh, on the main expense areas and that's salaries and wages, that's travel and that's scholarships. Uh, and the scholarship one is really hard you know, to, to adjust. You don't wanna impact your scholarships if you don't have to. So that's kind of a last resort. Uh, and travel is the one you know, that we're really uh, honing in on. But then certainly then there's the, what I just call the operational side of things. You know, every um, department in our organization you know, has operational budgets. And, and we're taking really hard looks at those and seeing what we can do without and how we can trim. Um, but then the end of the day, you know, we're all going to survive. You know, we're, we're going to make sure we provide the basic necessities. Uh, you know, the difference between this year versus years in the past, that it's going to be really centered around needs versus wants. You know, we need to travel. Uh, we need to pay for scholarships you know, we need to do certain things. We need to feed our student athletes. We need to provide them academic support, healthcare. care. Um, but you know what? We, we don't have to have fireworks at, at a ball game, much to my dismay. <laughs> you know, I love things <laughs> like that. But, you know, there are just a lot of things that we've been fortunate to be able to do from a f- fan experience standpoint that it just might look a little bit more vanilla, you know, this year around as it has in the past. But it won't compromise the the overall, you know, experience of, of rooting on the Raging Cajuns in your favorite sport.
1: So, um, since you mentioned that, when it comes to an operation budget, uh, in college athletics, I'm sure in many cases, margins run very thin. Sometimes they run a negative balance. Um, I've seen, we, we've seen situations where even at the P5 level, as you mentioned, uh, I believe – i think missouri was one of the schools uh ku uh, kansas was one of the schools as well to where there and and there were a few others out there that were dropping or should i say uh cutting coaches salaries across the 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 board uh like anywhere from five to ten percent um what 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 is it like what what different what differentiates like our situation Compared to a p5 like like Missouri or Kansas that to where they have to do that and we don't. And I'm just asking that from an yeah. educational standpoint.
2: Well I think for a lot of those programs you know they're, they're following the lead of the institution you know and at least uh, as of now uh, University of Louisiana has not taken that step in terms of a, uh, a cost containment standpoint. I think our, our university leadership is still trying to, identify um you know potential cuts you know from the state uh what our enrollment for the fall projections might look like and once we get those pieces of the puzzle you know then i think we'll we'll be positioned to make you know some additional decisions should we have to right and and in that situation we're always going to follow the, the lead of the university um, and that's that's at the at the pleasure and, and certainly the, the the choice of our of our president but um, you know, I, I think, and you know, it's every institution. You know, is in a different position from a financial standpoint. And you know, I think what COVID nineteen has shown is that even those who we might perceive being the most wealthy are very vulnerable. Uh, and uh, you know, I think probably for the most part, most of us live year to year. You know, even some of your power five programs, they don't have much in reserves, and so when. When a, a situation comes around like a pandemic, you know, it all hits us really hard. There's a select few, you know, that they're going to be prepared. They can sustain um, because they maybe have, you know, eight figures or more in, in, uh, in, in savings and, and things like that. But um, for most of us, I think what COVID has shown us is we, we kind of live year to year. And, you know, uh, we just we're all having to make some adjustments heading into FY21. There you go.
1: Yeah. Um, well, let's keep our fingers crossed that the budget kind of stays pretty level until the first kickoff. Right. We want That's to make right. sure. Keep our we're, we're hoping and praying and keeping our fingers crossed. Well, yeah.
2: let's move and on. I guess, and I guess what I'd add to that, too, is, you know, I just want to make sure I, you know, I'm very clear that I'm extremely understanding, you know, the economic time that not only. Um, the, the Lafayette community and Acadian and the state of Louisiana is going through, but nationwide. And so those who are finding ways to continue to support us, I appreciate it greatly because, you know, now more than ever, the disposable dollar is going to be more valuable to people. And so, um, you know, I'm just I'm very, very thankful for those who uh, continue to support us through an annual fund gift, an RCAF gift, uh, the purchase of a season ticket, single game ticket, et cetera that's going to help us continue to, to
1: stay afloat. Actually, that's a perfect that's a perfect point because that brings me to my next question. Right now, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we had the chance to have uh, Lee Deleon as well as um, Hans Malbranch on uh, to discuss a little bit about RCAF, talk a little bit about the uh, current situation with everything going on as far as fundraising is concerned. Um, from your standpoint, from the athletic department standpoint, whether it's the athletic department or working with RCAF, um, right now, like you said, it's a very difficult time. People are scrapping to donate if they can in this situation, uh, in this economy as well. Uh, what has been the plan to do just that, uh, as far as donations go, how has the communication been with the fan base on, on donating? And also, uh, what, what are the plans when things start to sort of get back in order? What kind of plans do you implement on, on fundraising? Well, I
2: think, you know, again, no different than preparing for a season and, and, starting to have our student athletes worked out and start practicing later you know we've got to continue to plan to move our department forward and fundraising is a big part of that and so whether it's on the annual fund side uh, or as we uh, look to solicit uh, major gifts for for facility projects and things of that nature you know we're going to continue to plan for those things but we just all during this time as i expressed to the staff you know daily is we have to be nimble and we have to be fluid because on any given day you guys are going to experience it too in your daily lives and your professional lives things seem to change quickly and so um you know i think you just have to be flexible these days you got to be quick nimble you got to be sensitive you know to people's uh, situations um but we're going to continue to plan to move forward um and do that the best we can and so You know, under Lee's leadership, uh, he, Hans, and the entire RCF team, you know, they're planning right now for what the fall and spring are going to look like from a fundraising standpoint. And they're working with uh, advancement uh, personnel on campus and within the foundation to to modify or solidify those plans, I should say. But really, at the end of the day, we're going to continue to to move the ship forward. Uh, We just realized that there may be times we have to pump the brakes a little. There may be times that we have to reroute. Uh, and we may have to even re-strategize midway through. We call that an audible, right? So, um, but we'll be prepared to do that. Uh, but again, we've got great people in 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 those positions, and they've got great attitudes and great hearts and, and minds. And uh, I'm very confident that we'll we'll do the very very best we can, and we'll be successful at it.
0: Dr. Maggard, it's time to you know discuss what's kind of been the bigger elephant in the room for most of the, the Gulf Coast, and that's conference realignment. You know, you recently, yeah. you recently made some comments <laughs> concerning the economic effects of a, of a merger between the Sunbelt and Conference USA, and yeah, I just want to paraphrase and say that I'm in complete agreement with what you had to say, yeah, um, yeah. but there was an athletic director at a school up north who didn't so much agree. Um, And I have a quote from Louisiana Tech Athletic Director Tommy McClellan, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't need to read the whole thing. But it says, let me be very frank and very direct. There's no conversation at Conference USA, nor is there any interest. I think if I were in Lafayette's position, I'd be trying to figure out a way to move up to a level like Conference USA. So I guess my, my question is, have you gotten any feedback from schools in either in the Sunbelt or Conference USA on the idea of a merger somewhere down the
2: line? Well, you know, what I want to clarify in that entire conversation is this, is that anytime two conferences would, would even be able to think about merging, uh, partic- and, and certainly merging in itself – That's going to be a byproduct of probably a lot of steps leading up to that. So you don't just get people in a room and say, hey, let's merge and it's done, right? Um, That's an extremely uh, big big bite, you know, to to try to chew off uh, initially. For me, and and my point in all my my, uh, comments was about we need to focus on more regional scheduling, however that may look. Now, in reality, that's going to look uh, like starting to do that in the non conference space, right? You know, UL LaTeX, UL Rice, UL Houston, UL um, uh, Tulane, you know, we all need, in my opinion, to be uh, making great efforts to schedule one another in that non conference space. I think it's obviously it's, it's good for uh, financial responsibility and efficiencies, but I also think it's fantastic for the, the student athlete and the fan experience. Uh, when you can start to build rivalries, when you can position your sport teams to play in locations that your fans can drive to, that family members of your team can drive to, that's a great thing for, for sport in general, in my opinion. And so um, now with that, type of conversation, you know, comes maybe even a broader thought, and that is, hey, does it make sense for conferences to think about merging or or coming together? And in some spaces, it may not, right? Uh, So I don't have all the answers for that, but I do think at a minimum, you know, there are a lot of uh, schools within our region, within our region, in multiple conferences, that we all need to, I think, do a better job of trying to Work together to schedule those. I think, you know, at least if we're going to make progress financially in college athletics, right, we need to minimize getting on airplanes as much as possible. It won't be possible to do it all the time, but I think anytime, like I said, if you have to fly over to a school, and listen, we're guilty of this too. I scheduled the New Mexico State Series, and this, uh, this fall, we're going to hop on a plane. And we're going to fly to Las Cruces, New Mexico. Well, we're flying over Houston, over Rice, right? And there, I mean, you could be driving up to La Tech and, and, and locations like that uh, where you could bus to as opposed to flying to. And I think those games probably even mean a little more, the more regional they are. So, you know, there, there are a lot of sport leaders. And I think most of us, uh, you know, absolutely would say we need to, to do a better job of regional scheduling. And um, you know, I, I'm very confident that we're going to continue to move forward. With that, but but I wanted to make it very clear, and I said this in the you know in the article is that you know regional scheduling might look like uh, come in the form of an alliance or some type of cooperative scheduling agreement with one or more conferences, right? Mergers, if they were ever to happen, that that's an entire different dynamic. You know that would take I think a tremendous amount of research, uh, analyzation to make sure it makes sense on a lot of levels. Cause it's not just as easy to say, well, because we're close together, therefore we should all march. It's, it's not that simple. You know, you got to take into consideration television contracts that are in place. You know, you may, your one conference office may have multimedia, right? Contracts in place. Uh, there are a lot of facets to look at. Right. And so anyway, you know, I, 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 I'll appreciate anybody's opinion on, on that, but, uh, I'm very confident that, you know, as an industry, I think sport leaders, both regionally and even broader, will start to be thinking more about um, cost containment as it relates to scheduling uh, and try to improve financial efficiencies and the student athlete and fan experience.
0: Yeah, you know, cause like you said, Dr. Maggard, you know, playing game, playing a home and home with schools like Louisiana Tech or Houston or Tulane, you know, like you'd mentioned, it's not only good for, uh, from an economic standpoint, but it's good for the fan base.
2: Absolutely. You, build, you build up those
0: rivalries and, you know, that's games that, that fans circle on the schedule as soon as the schedule comes out.
2: You know, I think, you know, if we can be more consistent, uh, you know, with, with schools like Houston and Rice, right? And I'm not, it's nobody's fault that we're not doing it. But I think hopefully, you know, this pandemic is maybe giving us a higher sense of uh, alert to maybe we should be doing this is just think about it with all the alumni you have, UL has in Houston, you know, time that we were to play at those locations, I think they would, they would benefit, you know, from a ticket sales standpoint. Cause I, I believe our, our alumni would go to those games to watch the, watch the Cajuns play. And certainly I think their people would travel, you know, if it's only a three hour drive, you know, to come over to Lafayette, Louisiana, experience the culture, you know, um, watch, watch great matchups, uh, same with Tulane. You know, we have great alumni in New Orleans. Um, it's going to be good for Tulane. It's going to be good for us. And so, anyway, I just think that um, you know the pandemic has brought to light uh, the 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 value to, to regional scheduling. And um, but, like I said, you know, regional scheduling does not translate into mergers whatsoever. That would be you know that's a broader conversation that would involve a lot more uh, review and, uh, and, and analyzation. So
1: adding on to, um, those, the, the, regional scheduling, um, where does that, where, where does that also stand when it comes to, uh, scheduling with P5? So for example, um, this year, uh, you, you cut a deal with Missouri, uh, that's the P5 game. Um, the following year, I believe, or should I say it, the next couple of years, uh, we have a scheduled game against Florida State. Um, what? How would, would that have any effect on P5 scheduling as well from a geographical standpoint? So, for example, maybe, I don't know, instead of going to somewhere as far as Arizona or California, maybe play somewhere as close as Tennessee or Arkansas. Like, do, mm-hmm. Would that also come into effect as well? I level. think so.
2: Yeah, I think I think uh, I think it makes sense to consider that, you know, the one thing about those games is particularly like in the sport of football, you know, the, the payouts are usually substantive enough that um, you have a little bit more flexibility uh, in terms of um, choosing your locations uh, and, and how you're going to get to them. But but from a pure dollar sense, it does make sense. Right. I mean, um, you know, if we could hop on a bus and, and go somewhere versus having to charter a plane, then that's just, you know, more profit, uh, in, in our, in our pockets. But I also think, you know, when, when it comes to scheduling, um, uh, you know, power five games, at least my philosophy is, is I want to, I want to schedule opponents who I feel like we can be competitive with. Right. I, I don't want to just sell ourselves to a really large paycheck, uh, and, and not really have a chance to be competitive in that game, and so because the payouts are what they are, I think you have a little bit more flexibility in that. But ultimately, yes, at the end of the day, I think anytime you can uh, position your your teams to plan a location that your fans can drive to pretty easily, uh, I think there's a there's a definite win uh, in that in that scenario. All right. So
1: what? You, you as athletic director, um, you have a very hands-on approach, usually with football. Um, there's always sort of that – I don't know if it's a misconception or there's a perception when it comes to scheduling that usually the athletic director does more football scheduling. Do you, are you hands-on with other sports as well, or do you let your coaches do the talking and the dealing with sports like basketball, baseball, softball, uh, soccer – how, how do you get involved in those sports compared to football? Well, but
2: without a doubt, you know, I, I'm most involved in football. You know, I did that at my previous stop. I'm probably one of the few oddballs in the industry who kind of enjoys it um, because it's like putting a giant puzzle together at times, and sometimes you have pieces that don't fit or you, you're short a piece. But um, what yeah, I think you're seeing industry – our industry moving to, uh, more these days, and it's been fairly recent is athletic directors getting involved in, in, uh, particularly men's basketball scheduling. Uh, for the most part, that's been kind of left up to the coaches and, and those sport programs. Um, but you know, what we're seeing is it's, be- it is challenging. It's challenging for a program like ours to, you know, go out there and get the quality games we'd like to get, you know, in terms of home and homes and, and, uh, against opponents that, uh, will bring good value, you know, to our schedule. Um, and so really probably in the last six to 12 months, um, you will, you'll see me, I've been much more involved and much more, I guess, uh, participatory working with Bob Marlin and Mike Murphy. Uh, and not because they are doing a bad job, it's just, I think anytime, you know, I can add something by picking up the phone and calling my counterpart, you know, at the school that they're wanting to, or we are wanting to schedule, that's just a, an added uh, bonus if you are of support to try to get it accomplished. But basketball scheduling is challenging. I mean, schools will w- wait till the very last minute. You know, uh, there are schools who are finalizing schedules right now as we speak for this upcoming uh, season that starts in October. Uh, wow. And so, um, yeah, it's it's, it's just Jeez. it's a different animal. <laughs> it's a different animal. And until you really, and, and you know, Experience it, you know, as a particular as a fan who doesn't have that opportunity. I think a lot of times people scratch their head and wonder why in the heck can't we, you know, get this team or that team, and it just doesn't work that way. It's a lot different than football. So yeah, that's a long-winded answer. To yes, uh, I'm becoming much more engaged, uh, you know, with the basketball side of things. Uh, and then, you know, really with everybody else, for the most part, they handle it. Gary Broadhead does a fantastic job of scheduling. And that's probably it's a little bit easier in women's basketball because, you know, your larger programs are, are often more willing to uh, to do home and homes and, and uh, or bring you in and, and play. you. Um, whereas sports like baseball, softball, those are handled, you know, by by the head coaches. Uh, there are some times they might consult with me. But for the most part, they know what they need to do. You know, they're looking for high RPI schedules uh, to position their teams to, to get to postseason play. You know, beyond the conference, and then really the same goes for everybody else. You know, the, the coaches do a good job, and/or their directors of operations. Um, so it's really football and that men's basketball, for the most part, for me at least. Uh, with just most recently getting involved with men's basketball.
0: You know, Doctor Maggard. There, there's no question that this COVID-19 pandemic has put a, a huge dark cloud over the world of college athletics. And, you know, it's going to affect college athletics for for a long period. So, you know, if we look at the next five to 10 years, in, in your opinion, where do you see college athletics going based on this pandemic?
2: Well, I, my biggest concern is that Let's just say within the next 18 to 24 months, things kind of start going back to more normal. My biggest concern is that we all get amnesia and forget about the opportunities to, to make college athletics more fiscally responsible, a better experience for the fans, and a better experience for the student-athletes. Not that it's bad now. But I, I think, you know, at least for me, this pandemic has really opened my eyes to the, the importance. I'm just, again, I'm such an advocate for regional scheduling um, and for those reasons I just mentioned. And so um, I'm hopeful, you know, that as sport leaders, we, we hang on to this. We all do a much more concerted effort in, in trying to enhance the experiences for those groups while at the same time containing costs and, and, and you know, being able to spread our dollars even further. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting uh, for me to see uh, if this accelerates a a change in how people consume sport moving forward. You know, if you guys, uh, you know, as well as I do, let's just go back, um, I don't know, what, six years ago, uh, say in in the glory days, if you will, the nine win seasons, you know, for Raging Cajuns football. Obviously, I wouldn't here for that, but the people I work with say, you know, they had 30, 35,000 people in the stands, you know, at times.
0: And here we are. Now,
2: keep in mind, back then, that was the only way to consume a Raging Cajun football game. They weren't on TV, right? Maybe a weeknight game here and there, but for the most part, maybe one or two games a year were all there been on TV. So you had to come live to watch it. Today, people consume sport for $4.99 a month, and they watch all the games. They can watch them on their handheld device. They can watch it on their 72-inch flat screen television at home, among friends and family. Um, You know, it's just a different way of consumption. What will be interesting to see to me is, you know, will this pandemic um, cause—I'm not necessarily talking about Lafayette, Louisiana, but— nationwide? Will it really will it create this germophobia, if you will, where, where people say, you know what, I don't want to risk going out in large crowds and I'm just going to stay at home and, you know, watch the games from the comfort of my living room. So I think that's one potential, you know, impact that uh, COVID-19 can have, but I'm not sold on that any, by any means. I just think it's a possibility. Um, but I also think, you know, uh, as people, um, it'll be curious on how quick our economy bounces back because then I go back to that disposable income, you know, people have a lot of options to spend their disposable income on. And if they can watch and consume sport less expensive at home, that allows them to spend those disposable dollars somewhere else. So that could be, uh, you know, an accelerated impact, I think, moving forward. Um, Because really what I get worried about for our industry more than anything is, the next generation of season ticket holders. You know, schools across the country are seeing declines in season tickets, right? And, and, and it's a situation where I think that, uh, again, the next generation, if you will, starting with today's college students, right? That generation, I'm not convinced that they're gonna be season ticket holders for, for athletic events, you know, when they become young professionals and, and get out and get jobs. I think they're gonna consume sport differently Uh, It's going to be more of a social event for them, and they can act. quite frankly, they can do that in many different settings as opposed to the live venue. And so that's where I think, you know, we're going to see single-game ticket sales being, you know, maybe an attraction for people or these mini plans where we might sell two or three ticket combos together. Um, But I'm a little bit nervous about the the longevity of the season ticket holder. I just don't know if that's the way people are going to... go moving forward. So we'll see. That's a good question. It's something I promise you, you know, the smart sport leaders are thinking about because again, um, you know, if you're not able and willing to adapt, you're going to get left behind.
1: And what's, and what's crazy about that, um, that you just mentioned is that there were issues of attendance across the country before COVID-19 hit. I mean, uh, University of Alabama, for example, uh, there, um, tearing down half of their upper deck in one of their end zones to create a um like a plaza level um because they can't fill the stadium up and this is Alabama like this is you know mm-hmm. one of the best teams in college football
2: a town. and and they can't
1: and and they can't fill it up uh in some ways so I'm sure that that, that, that was definitely an issue before covid 19 but now uh with that it makes me wonder, is there an opportunity or a possibility that maybe, you know, because of that, that the way the games are televised or uh, the TV contracts, is there any way that ESPN might, might revol- uh, change the way they do contracts? Is there a way that these certain conference networks might change their contracts, or are they just going to keep it the same, you know, in order to salvage college attendance across the board?
2: Well, you know, I think, you know, the networks are going to, Potential see an uptick in subscriptions and and things of that nature, particularly if people start to consume sport more from their from the comforts of their home. And so in that regard, they may see, you know, revenue increases both from from subscriptions, be it, you know, a uh, um, whether it's linear or, you know, something like ESPN Plus um, and, you know, television and advertising revenue could go up for them because more eyes may be on their on their uh, mediums. And so um, in that regard, I think, you know, it could potentially benefit them and might that allow uh, universities and conferences to negotiate better TV deals because the networks are getting more revenue. I guess it's possible. It's possible. That remains to be seen. Um, But um, so I I don't know. It's just, uh, I I do think it's evolving. Uh, You guys obviously see that um, yourselves as fans and as people who are, you know, uh, professionals in the industry as you cover sport, and um, but but I do think maybe as little as a decade from now, it could look a lot different than it does today.
0: Yeah, there's there's no question about that. You know, the the age that we're in now with with 2020 and the just the way technology's evolved even over the last ten years. Uh, you know, I, I think I think you're right when you say that you're we're leaning towards more of a a virtual or a remote way of of getting sports entertainment. You know, Dr. Maggard, I have a two-part question for you now. You've been in Lafayette now a little over 3 years. Your uh, your 3-year mark was in February. First part of the question is how have you liked, you know, Lafayette and the the Acadiana area as a whole for you and your family? And then the the second part of it is Three years under your belt, and hopefully many, many more. How far can this program go?
2: Yeah, Karen <laughs> uh, and I, we love it here. It's just not an issue of like; it's it's a matter of love. We we love the community. We love the, the quality of life that's you know that's in Lafayette. That's associated with the Cajun culture. Um, you know, I work for the best president. You know, in college athletics. Don't get me. And I I, I say that not flippantly, not, uh, as an exaggerate, but, uh, you know, Dr. Savoie, he gets it. He really gets it. And, um, and so I couldn't, you know, be, be more happy with who I work with and for and the surrounding people, you know, who fall in that same category. Um, we have great support here, um, but it, it can be better. Um, and so one, I love it. We love it Two. I think the sky's the limit for this university and this athletics program. I think, you know, the only question we need to ask ourselves is how big do we want to be, right? We have proven, you know, in two short years well, with a, with a, with a really, really good football coach, you know, and some investment, you know, in that sport, right, what we can accomplish here. And, you know, and we were, we were votes away from being a top 25 program, right? We were being talked about you know, in the, uh, in the C- CFP war room, if you will, you know, uh, toward the latter part of the season. And, um, and I, in, with the recruiting talent around the, the talent in this region, right, in the state, um, and, and with the, the passion for the sport of football and other sports, baseball, softball, you know, basketball, on and on, right? The, the sky, I really believe, is the limit. But it is going to take an investment, Right. You know, we, we do need people to attend our games. We really do. And I know we just talked about how that might look different. But, you know, what continues to drive me here every day, say, in the, in the sport of football or basketball even, right, because we have a lot of capacity to fill, is that we live in an area known as Acadiana that has, I think, somewhere between 800,000 and a million people, right? Well, if I could just get 5% of that population – To come to Lafayette on a a Saturday home game and and sit in Cajun Field, you got your forty thousand. So we have the bodies here, right? We have a football coach as an example, and I could name a softball coach and a baseball coach and a basketball coach, and on and on and on, right? We have quality, quality coaches. But what I think you know, we have shown, we being the athletic department, the university, is that. The opportunity we have here, particularly in the sport of football and in athletics as a whole, is is phenomenal. But we've got to accomplish some things. It will take an investment, right? We need to upgrade a couple more of our facilities. Then we're going to be in really good shape. We really are. Um, We need to grow our annual fund. And it can be at the $50 level. But if you take that population I spoke of in Acadiana, and if we could just get, oh, I don't know, let's just say 10% of Acadiana. To be a $50 investor in the RCAF, well, that just grows your, your annual fund exponentially. And then I think as people realize, but we've got to do a good job, you know, in athletics, a part of our charge, and you're going to see us focus on this more and more, is we've got to go out and educate people on the value of how a successful athletic program can help the university be successful and how a successful university enhances everybody in our region, right? And I don't know if we do a good enough job of, you know, of articulating that to people because at the end of the day, we've got a lot of people who just flat out aren't interested either in the region Cajuns or in athletics, and they might just be indifferent to the university. But I think if we can educate people on how easy it is, that's $4.17 a month, right? That investment, that's a cup of coffee. You can be a $50 annual fund member. And if we can grow that number by itself exponentially, you know, that's a difference maker. And then we need to upgrade, like I said, we need to upgrade some facilities um, because I'm also a believer that, you know, as we become a top 25 program, let's say in the sport of football, and as we enhance our facility and make it attractive for people to come, you know, and provide some premium experience, you know, for those who want it, I think that's another way to enhance, you know, your and grow your your attendance. I don't know if we'll ever have forty thousand here or not, but I absolutely do. I think we can can and should, you know, live in that thirty thousand space on a consistent basis. I do, um, because I, I believe that this is a a sport hungry community, and by community I mean Acadiana, the state of Louisiana, and you know if you put great products on the courts and on the fields, that only entices people to come. And so, anyway, I, I think the sky's the limit here for us. I think uh, when we become the best version of us, look out. Because then I think we're competing to be, you know, the top group of high program in America. You're competing to be in a New Year's Day Six Bowl. I believe that with my whole heart. And if I didn't, you know, I, I I'd certainly uh, wouldn't be looking to, you know, to invest my time here because uh, I love the potential.
1: So... When you, when you first arrived um, early 2017 and you accepted the job, what was your perception coming into Lafayette, Louisiana? What was your perception of University of Louisiana Athletics and has your perception changed since you arrived? And if it has, what part of that perception has changed?
2: I would say what has changed is when I came in, I I thought we could be really good. Now I know we can be really good, and that's that's the difference. You know, once I've I've been able to peel the layers of the onion back, there is no doubt in my mind that when we start pumping on all cylinders, and that that means you know um, fundraising, that means facility uh, enhancement and development, and the not only the the hiring of, but the the maintaining of high quality coaches, the sky's the limit. And I'm just telling you, you know, why we can't be a Boise State, a Central Florida, you name other, you know, top group of five programs, based on the region that we're in from a talent standpoint, based on what our facilities can be like, and, and really with this population, just the by itself, right? And if we can just start engaging more people. You know, from a, either a fundraising standpoint, investment standpoint, or season ticket or single-game ticket sales, um, there's there's really no – you look at the Sunbelt. I think you look at Conference USA and, and e- others, you know. I don't know if other programs have those opportunities like we do. And so – but we need to capitalize on it because I'm a firm believer of this, that I, I think the business model in college athletics, the old days of – a dollar in investing a dollar, and you get a dollar in return. From a university standpoint, I don't. That's not realistic anymore, right? Where you where you grow your investment from athletics as a university is you you invest in athletics, have high level winning programs, top 25 winning programs, right? And then you utilize that that exposure, right? That those feel good. Opportunities to grow your enrollment because the real Cash California university is enrollment. And so if we can utilize athletics as a vehicle, not the only, but as a vehicle to grow enrollment, when you when you figure out how to do that, then you're going to see things really explode.
1: And I think we're very, very close to say the least. Um, you know, we've always been told for decades, and I'm sure you've heard it many times when you before you arrived here, that this place was, like, just waiting to explode. This place was waiting to grow. And I think it's safe to say that um, the seed was planted recently, um, but now I think we're starting to see the plant kind of get out of its root. I think we're starting to see that flower grow. Um and so uh, it's, it's exciting right now. It's an exciting time, especially with football season coming up. Of course, with COVID-19, um, we're kind of approaching the season with caution. But like you said, I mean, there's some, there's some uh, news sources out there that believe that the Louisiana Raging Cajun football team can be that New Year's six-star course. I think it's safe to say we've come a long way since the day you offered Billy Napier that job, right? Well,
2: absolutely, you know, and, and to Coach's credit and his staff and the, and the, and the people he's surrounded himself with, right, um, they've done so much in a short amount of time. Uh, but, but, you know, as Coach and I were talking during the interview process and at the very beginning of his hiring, you know, the one thing we both shared was we know it can get done here. You know, and, and he, you know, if there's anybody that, that believes and wants that we can be and wants, you know, to achieve that top group of five status more than me, it's him. Um, but, but I just, again, I believe it in my heart, there's just no doubt in my mind that we can accomplish that. And, uh, and while, and as you, as you make progress toward that goal, you know, uh, we do, we need to find ways to generate more revenue, to sell more tickets. But then as a, like I said, as a university, I think we need to find ways to capitalize on the success, you know, of that sport and others. Right. But, but at the end of the day, you know, the way, the way the sport industry is set up, right. Is, you know, a highly successful football team often overshadows everything else. And so, you know, once you start breaking into that top 25, um, that's just when I think the university and, and I'm a part of the university, right. So I'm not putting on anybody else, but that's when we have an opportunity to, to really make strides, from an enrollment standpoint, uh, from, from improving you know, our, our, uh, our, our budgets overall you know, on campus, hiring and retaining great faculty, you know, achieving what's called research one status. You know, we're, we're just on the cusp of doing so many great things. And I'm a firm believer that athletics can be a, a valuable tool in, in helping UL become the best it can be.
0: Absolutely, Dr. Maggard. We'll go ahead and start wrapping this interview up. You know, we kind of ask everybody that we've that we've interviewed that's that is currently associated with the athletic department or has been in the past, if you can describe being a Ragin' Cajun in one word. What would it be?
2: Genuine. <clears throat> Genuine. <clears throat> Um, but, you know, if, if you were to give me another word, passionate, you know, genuine, passionate, those are the two that come to my mind. And, and, I, and although they're a little bit different in, in meaning, um, you know, I just, I've not met an, an unpassionate Cajun, but I've not met a non-genuine either. And so, um, take your pick, passion, passionate and genuine.
1: Let's flip a coin.
2: <laughs> I uh, love either one, and I don't think we've heard
0: either one.
1: No, we haven't. Actually, both of them are, are, are new words. You know, we usually get, what, family? Family's one. Yeah. Um, what's another one we've gotten? Uh,
0: Somebody said purpose.
1: Purpose, yeah, yeah. We like, we like word association games, especially yeah, no, when it keeps perception.
2: Yeah, you know? you know, I always, when I talk to people outside of the area, um, the, the two words I often describe, uh, you know, the Cajun culture as um, are genuine and relational. Right. I think it's a very relational community. Um, I don't think there's a Cajun who's ever met a stranger they didn't know. And, uh, you know, they, they, they treat people, they welcome people with open arms. Um, you know, Carrie and I, and I, I, I don't believe it's just because of the position I'm in. Right. I think I could have moved here and been, you know, an entry level professional. Uh, and I think people would embrace you. They want to get to know you, they want to feed you, <laughs> you know they want to um, talk with you um, and so I think that's consistent you know across the board but for me genuine you know always always pops to my mind, but again, it's a passionate culture too, passionate about their family, passionate about um, their heritage, you know their culture, and uh, I just want to get more people, more people passionate about ul and ul athletics because i'm just telling you when the university is pumping on all cylinders and when the athletic department is pumping on all cylinders uh this this place will absolutely um explode
1: well you technically um you and your family weren't weren't y'all honored as honorary cajuns
2: I, I was, you know, it's my honor yeah. and they, they should have they shouldn't do that for Carrie because she's you know, she's uh um you know, she's as engaged in, in this community and within our oh, of program and university as I am. But uh of course. but no, I mean that was a, that was a really unique, flattering honor and that's that'll be something I'll I'll always cherish. You know, that plaque will uh you know, hang um uh, in my on my walls wherever I am. But uh My goal is to be here a long time because we've got a lot of unfinished work to do. And uh, as long as I feel like, um, you know, there's a a desire to keep moving forward, I know I want to be a part of it.
1: Oh look! Please stay as long as you'd like. You're a Cajun now. You really can't. You can't go anywhere. You, you got to learn, and then now that you're a Cajun, you got to learn the recipes. You got to learn how to cook a gumbo. You gotta. Okay. You gotta say yeah. uh, terms like you know. Uh,
2: yeah, you, you know. On that though, Karen, I've kind of come to this resolve. Is there are so many good cooks that we know down here. I don't want to <laughs> screw it up. We don't. You know, Terry's got some dishes that she's really good at. You know, now I know chili's not as popular down here as, as gumbo, but. But if you guys like chili, Kerry makes an unbelievable chili. And, unbelievable. Uh, but, you know, we love gumbo. Uh, you can't beat that. But, like, you know, I'm, I'm just a little hesitant to, you know, to try to boil crawfish because I got friends or restaurants who do it so well. Right. And I'm really afraid to, to try to take on a, a gumbo or an etouffee, even though people say it's pretty easy. They're, they're easy to make. It's because, man, I think there's just something special about the touch you know, of, a, of having a Cajun prepare that stuff for you.
0: <laughs> you know, Dr. Jerry, it's funny you brought up, you know, recipes, and Dr. Maggard mentioned gumbo. Uh, when I when I told my dad that we were doing this interview, the one thing that he wanted me to ask you, Dr. Maggard, was do you eat tomatoes in your gumbo?
2: Um, not, I, I don't know if it's intentional. I mean, I've never turned down a cup of gumbo, so if it's part of the ingredients, I'm sure I have um but i've never you know added it to gumbo um so and if it's kind of stewed in right then i guess maybe i i have and i just don't really right right so
0: you see personally personally i'm not a fan of tomatoes and gumbo
2: yeah jerry i don't know about
0: you maybe being from new orleans
2: no yeah that's gonna be more of a new orleans more of the red tomatoy. It's Creole based, oh, yeah. Yeah, Creole yeah, yeah. Based. Yeah, no, I, I mean, again, and I, I can respect that. You know, the, I, listen, <laughs> I've never turned down food in New Orleans. Don't get me wrong, but I do, I do, I, I like, the, I like the, the, the flavor and the and the sauce. I guess it's what more of a darker roux over here, yes, than the, yes. say than, say in New Orleans, and I, I much prefer it over the two, but, but yes. with that said, i I've, I've uh, eaten some really good food in New Orleans, as I'm sure you guys have.
1: No, no no doubt. Um, Well, Dr. Maggard, everybody, of course, once again, the man in charge, Dr. Brian Maggard, (laughs) Director of Athletics for the University of Louisiana. Dr. Maggard, as always, uh, you know, once again, thank you so much for coming on, speaking with us today. We're all kind of like jittery right now. That cabin fever, the anticipation Mm -hmm. for the upcoming season is just really starting to get to us. Like we've said before, you know, we start phase two tomorrow uh, June 5th down here in Louisiana, which is, a, a it's a, it's a big step. It's a big step forward and hopefully bringing a sense of normality back to our, mm-hmm. to our society, especially our, our way of life down here in Louisiana. But, um, I guess for right now, we just enjoy the ride, take baby steps forward. And I know that's what you and your, your staff, uh, at the University of Louisiana athletic department are doing as well. But, uh, once again, thanks for coming on, please come on anytime, anytime you want to come on and talk UL sports, please come, home, right. come talk and, and we'd love to have you and very informative. And, and on behalf of Matt and I, you're doing a fantastic job. Keep up the good work and thank you for, for what you do for our, for our program.
2: Well, I appreciate you guys. And, uh, I know you guys are outside of Raging Review. you your loyal supporters of UL and the Raging Cajuns and, uh, I need to find about fifty thousand more, just like you guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's two. is a good start, I guess, right?
2: Hey, Amen. Yeah, we, <laughs> and we have many more. We do have more than two, but you know, there I, you go. Uh, Again, I just the example you guys set and your passion for it is fantastic, and you have a lot of comrades I know who feel the same way. And uh, again, we just need people to hang with us, but also we needed people get. The, excuse me, we need to get people to get on board as well.
0: Yeah, no, no question. Again, Dr. Maggard, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll talk, we'll talk soon right. for the uh, before the season.
2: Thank you, gentlemen. All
0: right, thank you.